Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening for your grace and mercy. I enabled us to assemble together to study a portion of your word. We recognize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus 16 verses uh, 13 through 36. But I'm going to be reading verses 23 through 26. He reads, He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and he did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will, be, there will not be any. Now we continue with the focus in the section of Exodus 16 verses 23 through 26, which is on the exposition related to the provision of the bread or the strange substance on the sixth day by the Lord to Israel. Now we have indicated that Moses' exposition first deals with the reason for the gathering of the double portion of the strange substance on the sixth day, which is that the seventh day will be a Sabbath or simply a day of rest, dedicated or set apart to the Lord, as in the sentence of Exodus verse 16, verse 23, again it says, Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, the Sabbath will be a day of worship of the Lord and the rest for the Israelites. Having provided them the reason for the provision of the double of that normal quantity of the strange substance on the sixth day, Moses continued with further instructions to Israel. But before we uh, consider further instructions to Israel, let me refresh your mind regarding the lesson that uh, covers this section of Exodus 16, verses 23 through 26, which is that the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether the action is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Of course, again, the main message that we have been uh, looking at that covers chapter 16, verse 1 through uh, chapter 17, verse 7, is that be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders, uh, since doing so is the same as grumbling against God. Now the first instruction to Israel from the Lord following the reason for the provision of double quantity of the strange substance on the sixth day concerns the manner of the preparation of the food from the substance the Lord provided Israel. Now, apparently, there, there were at least two ways that the substance can be prepared. It can be baked. Hence, that instruction to say, so bake what you want to bake. Now, this instruction implies that somehow that the Israelites knew that one of the ways to prepare this strange substance is to bake it as a dough from flour. I'm saying that unless the Israelites have already tried cooking the strange substance by baking it, 
that instruction would not have been given to them. If, however, they did not know that it could be bait, then the instruction will cause them to recognize that one of the ways uh, to cook this strange substance is by baking. But it seems probably that somehow the Lord through Moses might have made Israel aware that one of the ways that they should prepare this strange substance is by baking. Of course, the idea of baking assumes that the Israelites had baking pots or small ovens. This, indeed they did. Uh, because we know that they had carried out uh, some baking activities from the dough that was left after the Passover celebration, as we can gather from Exodus chapter 13, verse 39. I mean, chapter 12, verse 39. Exodus 12, verse 39. And hold on to that 12th chapter. It is with the dough they had brought from Egypt. They baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and they now have time to prepare food for themselves. So if they baked while it's moving, that means they have some baking uh, uh, utensils. Now another method of preparing the strange substance for food is by boiling. It is this approach that then is referenced in the next Instruction of Exodus 16, uh, verse 23. We're still coming back to chapter 2, though, where it says, And boil what you want to boil. Now, the word boil here is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to boil in water, as in the instruction regarding how not to eat the meat of the Passover, according to Exodus chapter 12, look at verse 9. Verse 9 reads, Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the, the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. The, the verbal phrase cooked in water is literally boiled in water. So the word may mean to bake as in the full tema. Prepare for her half brother Ammon, as stated in Second Samuel chapter thirteen, verse eight. Second Samuel chapter thirteen, verse eight. It is Second Samuel. Chapter 13, verse 8 reads, So Tamar went to the house of her brother Ammon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, and made the bread in his sight and baked it. Same Hebrew word translated boil, now here is translated bake. Now the word may mean to roast, over fire, as in the manner of cooking, of course, the Passover meal described in Second Chronicles chapter thirty-five, verse thirteen. Second Chronicles chapter thirty-five, verse thirteen. The Hebrew word can mean to roast. We said it can mean to boil, to bake. Now it also means to roast over fire. This we know from this Second Chronicles chapter thirty-five, verse thirteen reads: They roasted the Passover animals over the fire as prescribed, and boiled the holy offerings in pots, cauldrons, and pans, and served them quickly to all the people. Now, in our passage of Exodus chapter 16, verse 23, the word has really the meaning of to boil, 
That is, of course, to immerse in a boiling water or liquid for some cooking purposes. Again, it is assumed that Israel knew that a strange substance could be cooked by boiling in water, although we do not know how they first arrived at us at such knowledge. Now, it is interesting, though, to note that the uh, food that the Lord graciously provided Israel in the desert was either baked or boiled. That's interesting to me. Now, there was no frying of any kind for 40 years. Now, this is probably because Israel had no access to steady supply of oil. We can say that. But it could also be to convey to us that for the most part, we could prepare food for consumption without oil. That's close to be part of the reason. Now, I'm not saying that it is wrong to use oil for cooking, but we do not have to fry food as often as many people do today. Now, while nothing is wrong with cooking with oil, it is certainly harmful to cook with fat, as some people also do today. Now, Israel was instructed not to eat fat, implying that they should not be cooking with uh, fat, as we may gather from the instruction recorded in Leviticus chapter 7, verses 22 through 25. Now, I understand that, you know, we produce lard or whatever it is, and it makes it taste good, right? But, you don't know what you're doing to your body. Because my thing is, none of this extends your life. However, it determines the quality of life that you live on. Now, like I said, it doesn't happen sometimes. It may not even come when you're young. Later in years of your life, that's when the things will come up. But we are wise enough if we pay attention to what God told Israel, he guided them in many ways, including their food. If we pay attention, that will help us. Anyway, here it says, verse 22 of Leviticus chapter 7, it said, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Do not eat any of the fat of cattle, sheep, or goats. The fat of an animal, found dead or torn by wild uh, animals may be used for another purpose, but you must not eat it. Anyone who eats the fat of an animal from which an offering by fire may be made to the Lord must be cut off from his people. So the Lord did not, of course, provide a reason. Israel should not eat fat. But today, we know that Fat is not healthy for cooking. That much we know today. There are many things God told Israel in terms of food. Don't do it, don't eat this, don't eat this. But today we can know the reasons. He didn't tell them the reason. Like I said, he doesn't have to. If we trust him enough, whatever he tells us, we do it. We don't have to question that, knowing that he knows what he's saying to us. Anyway, this aside, the point we are in, interested in to make though is that Israel prepared their food from the, uh, from the uh, strange substance without any oil for 40 years. Think about it. For 40 years. And they, they were as healthy as you can imagine. Of course, those 20 years and up, they all died in the desert not because of their health. It was because of punishment for not obeying God. Now, though they did not use any oil for cooking, but the substance the Lord gave to them in the desert was such that when it was baked, it tasted like something that had oil in it. That's very interesting. This we know from Numbers chapter 11, verse 8. Numbers. Chapter 11, verse 
Numbers chapter 11 verse 8 reads, The people went, went around gathering it, and they ground it in a hand mill, or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot, or made it eat into cakes. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. So, some way, I mean, this, whatever it is that the Lord provided them, it was perfect. But they didn't like it. They rejected it as humans usually do in God's provision. But here, the thing is to me, is, is what a gracious God that we have, that He is equally concerned about the taste of this perfect food. Now, that's nothing wrong. I mean, He provided Israel. It has to be tasty. I mean, I understand that. and We all should eat something tasty to us. Yeah, I understand that. But we should do so being mindful that we're not endangering our health. So anyway, the first instruction given to Israel, following the explanation of the reason the Lord provided them double portion of the strange substance on the sixth day is, as we have uh, uh, stated concerns the methods of preparing the strange substance for food. Now, the second instruction of the Lord through Moses to Israel involves setting aside the excess, the excess food from the sixth day for consumption on the seventh day. It is this instruction that is given in the last part of where we are studying Exodus 16 look at the last part of verse 23 because he reads save whatever is left and keep it until morning now the word save here is translated from a Hebrew word nuah that may mean to rest or to settle down and remain as it is used for nuah's ark Resting and settling down on Mount Ararat as narrated in Genesis chapter 8 verse 4. Genesis chapter 8 verse 4. It is... On the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. Come to rest, that's our Hebrew word uh, that, has, that means to save as well. That the word may mean to have rest then after laboring, as in the rest required of both humans and animals in Israel on the Sabbath. According to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. It reads, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your uh, manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the aliens within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. So the meaning to rest, of course, may mean something like to wait, of course. Now, however, the word also may mean something like to live alone, to live alone. As that is the way it's used in the destruction of David against killing uh, Shemaiah for cursing him as he was running out of Jerusalem during the Absalom re uh, re uh, rebellion, according to Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. Now, this is one of those things that make you uh, recognize uh, 
the kind of believer David was. Here is a king who had all the power in Israel to do what he wants to do. And uh, after his son's rebellion, he started getting out of uh, Jerusalem, running out of from his palace. And this young man came out and started cursing him. And they said, this is what we read. After he cursed him, we read verse, chapter 16, verse 11, we read, Then David said to Abishai and his officials, now the, the preceding thing is that they said, let's cut off the head of that uh, animal, really. They use not a flattering word for cursing the king. And that's when he said, then David said to Abishai and all his officials, my son who is of my own flesh is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. That's a Hebrew word here. He translates, leave him alone. Let him curse. Here is the thing, for the Lord has told him to. The Lord has told him to. He understood that. That things that come out of our mouth, whether we know it or not, controlled ultimately by the Lord. Again, like I've said many times, it may be just to shock us. So we know what's really in our mind that we don't want people to know, but somehow it comes out. And uh, the Hebrew word may mean to repose, repose, that is to be situated as it is used in describing wisdom in relationship to a designing person in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 33. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 33 it is wisdom reposes that's, that's our Hebrew word here is translated reposes in the heart of the designing and even among fools she lets herself be known now in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 23 though, the word is used in the sense of to live alone, live alone. So the Israelites were to put aside or to live alone the quantity of food that they did not consume on the sixth day. They should put it aside, leave it aside. That's the instruction. Now that what Israel was to set aside though on the sixth day is the food that they did not consume on that sixth day is converted in the expression of Exodus 16 verse 23. Again it says, whatever is left and keep it until morning. Now again that the phrase is left is translated from uh, a participle in the Hebrew of a verb that means to remain over, to be in excess, to be in excess. So the word is used with the meaning uh, to exceed in the instruction regarding the redemption of the firstborn males of the Israelites by the Levites and the payment of money that is required from the excess. In other words, when that uh, census was conducted, they conducted using the first males of each family and they counted the number of the Levites and uh, the number of the firstborn sons exceeded the number of Levites, male uh, descendants of Levites. So that excess, what's exceeded, they have to now use money to make it up. And that's what we have in Numbers chapter 3 verse 49. Numbers chapter 3 verse 49. Numbers chapter 3 verse 49 reads, So Moses collected the redemption money from those who exceeded 
the number redeemed by the Levites. In other words, each Levite redeemed each uh, first son of the Israelites. But since the population was more than the Levites, then those, the excess they had certain amount to pay. Now in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 23, because a Hebrew participle is used, the word has the has meaning of remainder. The remainder. That is something left after other parts have, taken, have been taken away. So Israel, of course, had to exercise discipline or self-discipline to ensure they did not consume more food than they usually uh, would do daily since that substance for food was doubled on the sixth day. You see, it is possible for someone to overeat because of excess food available. And again, you know that part of our problem in this country is the same thing that's a blessing causes us some problem. We have plenty of food. And therefore, we eat a lot too. And that can get us in trouble somehow. It depends on how you do that. But all of this requires self-discipline. There has to be self-discipline. So it is possible that when these people saw excess of food, although they have been limited, that some of them may decide now to indulge in excessive eating. So if that happened, the Lord would have acted miraculously to ensure that what was left over or that was left for safekeeping for the next day will be enough for the Sabbath. He's just that gracious because he has given them the number, the, uh, the quantity they have to eat every day and Omer. So if somehow somebody consumed more, I believe in his grace, he will still have made that, whatever is left to still be equal to that Omer. So anyway, the portion of food not consumed on the sixth day was to be preserved for the next day as an instruction and keep it until morning. Now the word keep in the NIV implies that a verb is used in the Hebrew text. But that's really not the case. See the word keep is translated from a Hebrew noun. Not a verb, a Hebrew noun. That may mean keeping or preserving. Keeping or preserving. As the word is used for the instruction concerning what Moses should do with the manna to preserve it for future generation of Israel so that they will know or they will see what the Lord provided for their forefathers in the desert for the 40 years that they were in the desert. As we read in Exodus that we're studying chapter 16, look at verse 32. Exodus Chapter 16, verse 32. It reads, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. So, they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. See that expression, anoma of manna, and keep it for the generations to come. It's literally, a full oma of it is for safekeeping for your generations. Just to give me a think about this, when you read it, you realize the lesson that we Stated is being worked out here. Because if, if it's left overnight, maggots. But here it's going to be left for generations and generations to come because God has instructed. That's the result changes because God says so. Now the Hebrew word may mean injunction or requirements. As in the instruction, the Lord expects his covenant people to observe, as we read in Leviticus chapter eighteen, verse thirty. 
Leviticus chapter 18 verse 30. It is keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Now, this is one of those things that... uh, one of the passages in my judgment that uh, Christians we don't pay too much attention to that we follow things that unbelievers do because they sound good and yet God kept telling Israel when you go in there distinguish yourself don't follow their practices there are too many things they do don't follow it and that's what we find today Christians they do all kinds of things for unbelievers Anyway, the Hebrew word can mean the care of, the care of, as it is used to describe the duty or service of priests regarding the articles of the tent of meeting, described in Numbers chapter 3, verse 31. Numbers, chapter 3, verse 31. Numbers, chapter 3, verse 31. Where he reads, They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, and everything related to its use. This part of the Levites. There's a specific group of, of them that had that responsibility of maintaining all things related to the tabernacle. Now the uh, Hebrew word that we said means keeping can also mean watch or simply guard. That is the act of placing, of course, a guard over an area for keeping or for, uh, to keep something protected or to confine something. So the Hebrew word can simply mean confinement. Confinement. That's the way it is used to describe what happened to David's concubines that uh, Absalom had sexual relationship with during his rebellion against his father. And these women were put under special guard. Now, this, when you read this kind of thing in the Bible, it's one of those things that should cause you to recognize that what you do, especially if you are married, or if you have some kind of relationship with a whole lot of people, that is close relationship, that what you do, it does not only affect you, if it affects those around you. This is, this is to me, this is one of the clearest, one of the clearest uh, illustration of this, because of what I'm about to read now. This woman had nothing to do with David's sin, yet they're going to bear the brunt. Here we have uh, this given to us in Second Samuel, chapter 20, verse 3. Second Samuel chapter 20 verse 3. My point though is that we all have to be careful that what we do affect other people. Those in close relationship with us. More so your spouse, what do you do? It's going to affect your spouse. Your children. So you have to be very careful in what we do, because if it's just us alone, there may be yes. We can say, well, I enjoy it, but it, it, it always will spill to others who are very close to you. So this is what we have here. Uh, when David returned to his palace in Jerusalem, 
He took the ten concubines he had left to take care of the palace and put them in a house under God. That word God is the word we say has the meaning of keeping or safekeeping. That word God. Now, he say he provided for them, but did not lie with them. They were kept in confinement till the day of their death, living as widows. These, these concubines were secondary wives of David, ten of them. But uh, when God pronounced judgment to him for his adulterous affair, God says, I'm going to hand over your wives to one that is close to you and he's going to sleep with them in the open place. You did yours in secret. I'm going to expose the whole thing. And that's what happened. This woman had sex in the, you know, people beheld as Absalom having sex with all these women. And because of what that happened, David said, no, no longer will I have anything to do with these women. And therefore they were now treated as widows from then on. So now they are suffering for the sin of David. That's my point. That many, many times what we do affects other people. If we really care, and I know and I hear this a lot, people in this country say, oh, we're thinking about our children. I say, yeah, really, are you? If you're thinking about your children, you'll be thinking about what you're doing now. Because whatever you do, it's going to affect them. And we, you know, we feel sad about how things are. Well, yeah, roughly so. But you can do your part by leaving it out with the truth. So at least those in your immediate family will be protected, will be blessed by what you do. Now in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 23, the Hebrew word has a sense of keeping, that is, the act of retaining something. Hence then, the excess food on the sixth day was to be set aside for safekeeping until the next morning of the seventh day, that is, on the Sabbath. Now, in any case, the second instruction then of the Lord through Moses to Israel about keeping excess food overnight could be problematic to some Israelites and to some extent many of us who may say that the instruction is confusing because it conflicts or is in conflict with the previous instruction of the Lord to Moses for the Israelites not to keep the strange substance of food from it overnight as in the command the passage was studying Exodus 16 look at verse 19 again Exodus 16 verse 19 it says then Moses said to them no one is to keep any of it until morning now it's here we're reading keep them till morning so someone said, well, you're confusing me here. Well, <laughs> so we need to look at it. Now these Israelites suddenly knew the result of keeping any portion of the strange substance overnight. Those who did. Remember, the whole place was thinking. Now so consequently, some of the Israelites must, might have said to themselves that they did not know what to believe. Or what to make of this second instruction to keep the leftover food for the next day. So I'm saying that it is possible that some of the people will have said that Moses was confusing them. In that one time he says they should not keep any portion of the strength substance overnight. But now he says the opposite. Now you see people always like to say, we talked to you, you said one thing, now now he's flipping most time people, if you really think carefully, it may not be asleep. It just depends on what people understand. So this being the case, then, they might be wondering, though, if Moses was tricking them to see what they would do. In effect, those who knew, or those of them who knew of the bad odor of the substance, left overnight the very first 
day of the provision of the strength substance, we think that Moses was about to cause problem for them by giving them an instruction that he claims, that's the way they say it, is from God. That conflicts with the previous instruction that they now certainly believe is from God. Because of the result of thinking all over the place. So they know that one was from God. So now they say, oh now, Moses is trying to cause some problem for us. So, they may be wondering which one to accept. Since this second one, or second instruction, conflicts with the first one. Now the apparent conflict in the instruction regarding the strange substance from the Lord about not keeping any portion of it overnight and another that requires keeping it overnight enables us then to recognize that when there is an apparent conflict in the instruction in the scripture that we should carefully consider the instruction to resolve what appears to be a conflict. It's not easy, but we have to do that. Now to do this, we need to carefully consider the context of each instruction to help us resolve what may appear to be a conflict. That is why it keeps saying appear, because it's not a conflict. God cannot conflict himself at any time. The conflict seems, comes from us. Now, we, So we will illustrate, though, the principle by considering our present context and two more examples from the scripture to show you how you can deal with that when it seems to be there's a conflict. Now Israel was not aware of the reason behind the first instruction not to leave the strange substance overnight because the reason was not explicitly given to them. They didn't know the reason. All they knew was instruction not to leave the strange substance overnight. However, there were at least two reasons uh, behind the instruction which, if they understood, will enable them to recognize that a second instruction that appears to be contradictory is not. If they remember, if they knew those two reasons, we have considered them. A first reason, if you recall, for the instruction for Israel not to keep uh, the strange substance overnight, as we previously uh, studied, is to test Israel's obedience to God's word or in God's instruction, according to what we studied in the same Exodus 16. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. Verse 4 reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. So that's the first reason. Don't, and when you say, don't keep it overnight. There's instruction, reason, to see if they're going to obey. Now a second reason for the first instruction, that is not uh, clearly indicated in the context, is that the Lord wanted to test. Israel as whether they could rely on him to provide them their daily food. Now if they understood these two reasons, they will recognize that the second instruction is not a contradiction to the first because of they have different purposes. Now the second instruction to leave food that was in excess on the sixth day was because the Lord will not provide any of the strange substance on the seventh day. Furthermore, the Lord will not want them to go against his word about the Sabbath being a day of rest for them. So understanding this explanation should have caused them to recognize that what the Lord commanded the second time regarding leaving the excess or the leftover overnight it's not a contradiction to the first instruction since both instructions have different purposes. Furthermore, the second instruction is a demonstration of God's care for them or for his children in that he will not withhold his blessings to his children 
without warning them that they were about to miss out on his blessing if they did not uh, take a prescribed action. He would not do that. So if Israel woke up on the seventh day without seeing the strange substance on the ground, they would have concluded that God has certainly abandoned them since he did not provide them for their food that day. So that, that would be the conclusion. So the second instruction then clearly reveals God's grace and God's care for his own. He didn't want to, you know, suddenly they wake up. It's not there. So he prepared them. That's what you have to be sure. God prepares us for what we're, uh, the what we're about to face. The problem is we reject his provision. In other words, as you study the word, God is preparing you to face whatever is on your plate or whatever you're going to encounter. But if you're not taking your spiritual life seriously, when you encounter that, you fall flat on your face because you rejected taking the provisions. Now, so that's the first illustration. Another illustration that enables us to understand that it is a context that should guide us in resolving what appears to be conflicting instruction in the scripture concerns the implicit instruction of the Lord for Samson to marry a Philistine woman according to Georges chapter 14 verses 1 through 3. Judges and hold on to Judges Judges chapter 14 verses 1 through 3 I'm going to come back to that uh, 14th chapter after two, uh, one passage still in, in Judges then in Deuteronomy we'll come back to it Okay, this is what it is. It is. So Samson went down to uh, Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now, get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? Or among all our people, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, there's nothing in this passage that suggests there was an implicit instruction from the Lord to Samson about marrying a gentle woman as the uncircumcised uh, refers here to Philistines who become a gentile it's a gentile however the context helps us to recognize that Samson's move was sanctioned and directed by the Lord how is that you may ask it is because of the context now this section of Judges was given right after the declaration of the 13th chapter, verse 25. Look at chapter 13, verse 25 of Judges. Judges, chapter 13, verse 25. It reads, and the Spirit of the Lord began to steer him, him being Samson, while he was in uh, Mehane Dan, between Zorah and Esteol. Now, bear that in mind. See, that sentence says, the Spirit of the Lord began to steer him. That sentence is intended to inform us that Samson's action was from the Lord. The Spirit steered him. So that's to tell us what we read in chapter 14 is from the Lord. That's the context. So anyway, Samson's parents, uh, their protest is most certainly based not on the ethnicity of this woman, 
or will be bribed on their recognition that God's instruction to Israel was not to marry from Gentile people because of their spiritual life. That could cause problems that will lead an Israelite into idolatry according to Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 3 and 4. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 3 and 4. He reads, this is a clear instruction. Do not intermarry with them. These are the Gentiles. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will, here's the reason, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And the lost anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Here it is. It's a spiritual factor, not a human factor. Now please know though that again it was a spiritual condition of the Gentile nations that was behind instruction for Israelites not to intermarry with them. Now Samson was never going to be involved though in idolatry. But more importantly, God had a specific Purpose for Samson's marriage to his listing woman, as we uh, read again, go back to Judges chapter 14. Go back to chapter 14. And let's look at verse 4. Judges chapter 14, verse 4. He reads, His parents did not know. That this was from the Lord. You see, it was from the Lord. Who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. So understanding then, the purpose for the implied instruction for Samson uh, to marry a Philistine woman. She lay nebulous within the context of the marriage proposal to recognize that there was no contradiction in the word of God, although it appears so. But knowing this, you see, there's no contradiction. Because God, something is never going to be involved in idolatry. That's the reason they were told, don't marry them. More than that, God was using him for judgment of the Philistines. See, though, another example that illustrates the importance of context in resolving an instruction or practice in, in the scripture concerns the instruction of the Lord Jesus regarding persecution of his disciples or apostles. The Lord had instructed them that when they are persecuted in one place, then they should flee to another, as we read in Matthew chapter 10, verse 23. Matthew chapter 10, verse 23. Matthew chapter 10 verse 23. Matthew chapter 10 verse 23 reads, When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, Apostle Paul practiced this instruction in his first missionary journey. Now, thus, when there was the threat of persecution in Iconium, he and Barnabas left that city, as we read in Acts chapter 14, verses 4 through 6. Acts chapter 14. Verses 4 through 6. And hold on to Acts. Acts chapter 14. Verses 4 through 6. It is. The people of the city were divided. 
Some started with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it, that's Paul and Barnabas, and fled to the uh, Laconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country. So they followed the instruction. You have been persecuted, flee. Now the apostle faced similar situation in Corinth that he faced in Iconium. As we read, go to Acts chapter 18, verse 6. Acts chapter 18, verse 6. It is, when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He's done his job. He's giving them the truth. They don't mind. He said, okay, I'm through with you. Well, they were, you know, ready to persecute him. He knew that. But he didn't run. He didn't move. This time, that he didn't do that is because he had an assurance from the Lord. According to that, Acts chapter 18, look at verses 9 through 11. It is one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So, Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. He didn't run. But remember the first one? See? You persecuted? Run. Now he did not. Is that a conflict? No. Because the purpose and the promise is different. The Lord said, I'm going to protect you here because there are still a lot of people you need to reach with the gospel. Nothing is going to happen until you finish that. So you can see now that the apostle did not leave Corinth because the Lord Jesus Christ specifically assured him of his safety to that, to the fact that he did not then disobey the Lord's instruction about fleeing from one place to another due to persecution. So you can see that the examples I have cited are sufficient to establish the principle that we stated that when there appears to be conflicting instructions in the scripture, we should carefully study the context of the instructions to resolve the apparent conflict. Nonetheless, we know that the second instruction then to Israel to preserve their leftover food on the sixth day was not a contradiction to the first instruction that required them not to leave it overnight because of what I've explained. There's no contradiction. But if you didn't remember this context, people didn't know that, and this is why people would say, oh yeah, the Bible is full of contradiction. They don't know it because there are those who really are serious about reading it and they can pinpoint some of the so-called contradiction, except that they really weren't studying it to, uh, to resolve whatever conflict because they have a, an adversarial uh, view of the scripture. Nonetheless, for us, we know that it is God's word. There cannot be any conflict. So whenever there is one, do some study. Now I say this 
in you know in a way that you probably need to find somebody who can do that for you. It's not something that everyone can do. So in any event, though, let me end our study this evening by reminding you then of the lesson that we have been expounding again, which is that the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether that action is sanctioned or by the Lord or not. That determines the result. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us to the things we have studied so that we be people who are so devoted, knowing that there cannot be conflict in your word and knowing that you care for us so that in every way that we be confident that you take care of us. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.